We did have one more uh, person to die this week. I don't know whether many of you know Pam Vath. Pam's a new member of the church. And uh, her mother died, and so we had the service yesterday. So it was, a, it was a private service. It was just a family service, so that's why it may not have gotten into the general announcements. <clears throat> well, let's be turning to the Gospel of John. That's in the New Testament. I say that because we spent so much time in Ezekiel. You may have to take the cobwebs out of the other side as you open And this morning we're going to be in John 1 through 10, uh, chapter 10, 1 through 18. And what I've done, I've just, rather than giving you notes today, there will be notes online. If you want the notes, you know, the ones that I refer to, you can certainly go online or some kind of way we can produce them for you. But I really just wanted you to sit and maybe listen And hopefully receive, as we go through this material, this scripture, to receive the, how to say it, the feeling, the, the expression. The, sometimes I think when we study the word and when we read the word, we don't think about feeling it. And if anything, we need to do more. Is to let literally feel the word of God. Not just hear it and intellectually take it in and understand it and study it. Because it's in our feelings and emotions. That God begins to do such a work of disconnecting us from our feelings and emotions for the world. And building his feelings and emotions in us as he more connects us to himself. Bringing us to a place of seeking him in a greater way. Chapter 10 of John, 1 through 18. You remember the background, just a little bit background. Jesus, in his typical way, has been presenting truth in himself and teaching truth. And in doing so, he's been antagonizing all kinds of leadership. The leadership of the Jewish nation at this time has become a very legalistic When I say corrupt, I don't mean morally corrupt in that way, but just a corrupt leadership of not caring for the people of God the way the Lord had intended them to care. You remember in chapter 9 when the man was healed on the Sabbath, Jesus was attacked because you're healing someone on the Sabbath. Why did you just wait until tomorrow and heal him? Next time you ask for a pastor to pray for your loved one to be healed. And we say, could we just do this at another day? Today's not a convenient day. And it's like, what? And not only do they attack Jesus, but you remember the man himself, the guy who gets healed. He gets put out of the synagogue. I mean, can you imagine being healed and then thrown out of church? All I did was to be in the place where somebody... Heal my eyesight. I mean, I was just uh, kind of there. It's not my fault he healed me. He just healed me. Get out of church because you don't represent what we understand 
as good morality, good religion. And so as a result of this, it's just this continuing crescendo of antagonism and attack. As we come to chapter 10, Jesus uses the way the leaders have been leading the people as an opportunity to draw a stark distinction, light and dark, good and bad distinction between the kind of leadership that God desires us to be exemplifying within the body of Christ, within the church, within Israel, and the kind of leadership that was actually occurring. And the leadership that honors God is his type of leadership over us. So this would be something of the background. And in approaching and in dealing with this issue and in taking the opportunity, Jesus is going to reach back all the way back into the history of Judaism and all the way through carry a motif, speak about a motif that transcends all of their history and continues, begins in Abraham and continues throughout the history. And that is the pastoral, the, the, the sheep, the shepherd motif. And he's going to reference this leadership of God by using probably, if not the most, one of the most powerful metaphors that they have. One of the clearest that they have. Now, we don't have a lot of time to go back and preview all that. It's a wonderful history. But this is where we are today. He's going to show that God was their true shepherd leader. And their earthly leaders were not leading in that way. Father, as we begin to look at your word. Father, this morning we ask that this word, like every time we speak your word, whether we speak it in sermons, teachings, counselings, or just hear it or just share it casually. Father, that this word of yours will achieve what you have promised in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void. Father, cause your word today to instruct us, correct us, encourage us, embolden us, assure us. Father, today, would you, as is your great way, shepherd us by your spirit. For we are in great need of your constant, continual, loving shepherding. In Jesus' name, amen. So with this background, let's read verses 1 through 18 in chapter 10 of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, 
He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So we're going to go through this passage, but not in great detail because there's just an enormous amount to say. But we want to go through it at least in enough of a way and reference another passage that hopefully the Holy Spirit this morning will paint for us a picture of shepherding. God's way of leading versus the Jewish way. Or the typical man way. So let's look at the verses. In verse 5, Jesus begins to contrast them with himself. In verse 5, they speak as strangers and the sheep don't recognize but, verse 16, they will recognize Jesus' voice. In verse 8, they are thieves and robbers, refusing to enter through God's only door. But in verse 7, Jesus is the door. In verse 10, they have come to steal, kill, and destroy. But also in verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that my sheep might have life and not only have life, but have it abundantly. They are hired hands who flee when the wolf comes. And you remember their fleeing causes the sheep to be scattered and snatched. But in verse 15, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. They care nothing but for the sheep in verse 13. But in verse 14, Jesus tells us, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You see, Israel has been led by blind leaders leading the blind. 
Now, when Jesus stands and says, I am the good shepherd, when he says that, immediately ringing in the ears of the people would have been this passage from Ezekiel 34. Now, you thought we were getting away from Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel 34. Now, remember, when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to these people who are thoroughly familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, which is what they had as their Bible, if you would. And so punctuated throughout his sermons are multiple references to prophecies of the Old Testament, especially when we hear this, because when he says, I am the good shepherd, this is an astounding comment. You see, we hear it and say, oh, good, wonderful, that's nice. But that's not what these people would have experienced in that. Because they knew these words from Ezekiel, where Ezekiel the prophet, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, speaks these words from the heart of God, indicting the leadership of the nation of Israel as the reason for Israel's being destroyed. And God tells them what he's going to do. Listen to these words. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds or the leaders of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and, of, and hardness, harshness you have ruled over them. Now, as we go through that, you should hear the words of Jesus ringing to the opposite. You have not sought for them. I have sought for them. You have not healed them. I have healed them. You hear the ringing voice of Jesus to the contrary of every one of these indictments. So my sheep, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. You can just hear the anger of God. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. But the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at the hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they may not be food for them. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I myself 
will search for my sheep and will seek them. As a shepherd seeks out his flock and when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a dark day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them back out of the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing lands. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring them back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and, and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I myself will be the shepherd over my people. This is what they heard and this is what they knew about. And Jesus standing in the midst of this crowd says this, I am the good shepherd. Whoa! What must have been in their hearts and minds as they heard this young man standing among them proclaiming in very bold language, I am the very Lord God who spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. This was a shuddering moment for these people. Why can Jesus say this? I mean, what kind of audacity is in a man that he can say, I am God who proclaimed to you 600 years ago that I was coming to shepherd my people. How can he say this? How can he get away with this? He can get away with it first and primarily because he is the Lord. Now, don't make any mistake about it. This is the primary major reason. How can he get away with this? Who does he think he is? He doesn't think. He knows. I am the Lord. Secondly, how can he get away with it? How can he get away with this? Look at verses 11 and 15. He repeats the same statement. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How can he get away with saying, I'm the good shepherd? Well, he can get away with it because he is the Lord. And he can say that he is the shepherd because he will in himself fulfill every aspect of being shepherding. Even to the ultimate aspect of laying down your life for the welfare of the sheep. Only he can say this because only he is who he is and does what he does. You see, he's the son of God who dies on the cross. In order that God would make him our chief shepherd. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And he sits on the throne of God Almighty. And this one himself shepherds his people from the throne of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does good shepherding or what should good shepherding look like in our lives? How can we evaluate whether my life is 
in accordance with good shepherding? Am I walking in the good of that? What does good shepherding look like? Well, let's turn back to Psalm 23. Obviously, Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known and popular of all the Psalms. David has written this out of the rich tradition and history and experiences of his own shepherding. Remember in 1 Samuel, when Samuel the prophet is looking for a replacement for Saul, the Lord says, go to Jesse in Bethlehem. And one of the sons of Jesse is my man, the man after my own heart, and I'm going to anoint him as a shepherd over my people. And so they go through all these boys, these tall, big guys, you know, big old burly guys, whatever. And, and, and Samuel says, hey, hey, this has got to be the guy. No, the Lord doesn't look at the outside. He looks on the heart, you see. He doesn't evaluate as to the physical. He evaluates as to the spiritual. And so finally, is there anybody else? It got to be somebody else because I know God didn't make a mistake. Well, there's, a, you know, there's young David. He's about 20 years old. He's out there tending the sheep. He's a shepherd. Bring him in. And when David came in, the Lord said to Samuel, this is he. This is the one who will shepherd my people. You see, I have trained him for 20 years out on the slopes and in the pastures and in the difficult places. I've trained him to be my shepherd. And so David writes this psalm giving the experiences of a shepherd. And so what he says in here is firsthand information. He didn't go to a commentary and began to collect information. He says this is what real shepherding looks like. And under the inspiration and leadership of the Holy Spirit, David pens this psalm. So all of us will always and clearly know what good shepherding is to look like. Every leader, whether you're a leader in the church, whether you're a leader in the home, wherever it is that you lead, you and I, we should have a very good grasp of Psalm 23 as to the issue of who we are, how we are doing it, and all the various issues of our shepherding. If you want to know how to lead, if you want to know the details of leading and the effects of good shepherding, read and study Psalm 23. So let's look at Psalm 23. And we're going to break it down into three sections. First of all, verse 1, we're going to talk about Christ's relationship to us, his who we are in Christ, his presence in us, which is the foundation of the rest of the psalm. Then verses two and three, we're going to talk about his work in us. And then in verses four to six, we're going to talk about our walk in him. First, who he is in us. Then secondly, What he has done. And third, what is the result of it? So let's go through it one verse at a time. And now this is going to be a very, very thumbnail sketch. But what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is to just broaden our understanding of shepherding and of leading and of following. And get a much larger view of what God's kind of leadership is for my life, for your life. For everyone who is saved, everyone who is in Christ, this is the way the Holy Spirit shepherds us. And this should be our experience. 
Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. First of all, who? Who is my shepherd? The Lord. In the original language, the word Lord is the translation for Yahweh, I am. Now, without going into great detail, remember when Moses met with God on the mountain of Horeb. And he said, what is your name? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am hath sent you. And this is my memorial name unto all generations. I am. The Greek translation of that Hebrew is ego ami. E-G-O-A-I-M-E. Ego ami. It is the same meaning. And so Jesus, you remember in John eight fifty eight, standing, talking to these Jewish leaders about birthright and so on. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him because he made the very clear and in your face declaration that I who speak to you am the very God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the burning bush, the God of Mount Carmel, the God who conquered all the enemies of the Old Testament. I am who he, I am this one. I who speak to you am. And so who is the Lord? It is none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Now in the Hebrew it would say Yahweh is my shepherd. But we can correctly say Jesus is my shepherd. When? When is Jesus my shepherd? What does it say? The Lord what? What, 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 what what's, the, what's the verb? Remember transitive verb? The ver- Lord what? Is. What tense is is? Past, present, or future? Present. When is the Lord my shepherd? Right now. The Lord is right now my shepherd. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help. It's not that the Lord is going to be my shepherd. I hope he's going to be my shepherd. One, he used to be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If he is your shepherd, he is your shepherd right now. And he's going to be your shepherd tomorrow. And he will always be your shepherd. You see, there is that binding of relationship once God becomes our shepherd that continues forever. Amen. I am your shepherd. What are you going through? I am your shepherd. Who's shepherd? Who's shepherd? Whose God is this God? The Lord is. Come on, we can say it. This is, this is, you, can, you can say loud in this church. I like loud. The Lord is what? My shepherd. He's mine. Just look at Scott and Grace. They're right now at a place in their marriage where she's mine. Isn't God's mercy good for you? Grace, he belongs to you. He's yours. The Lord is my shepherd. Don't miss Don't miss these words, these pronouns, my shepherd. Are you today forgetting because of circumstances that God is my shepherd? 
He's mine. I am his. He is mine. And what is he? He's my shepherd. He is the sole provider, protector, defender, and guide for the sheep. And you see, when we come to realize the Lord himself is our personal shepherd, when we dwell on that and think about it and ruminate and go over it and go over it and think about it and ruminate and contemplate it, the Lord is my shepherd. Think about this. Concentrate on it. Spend time in it. It begins to create by the Holy Spirit, I shall not want. It begins to create an understanding that produces confidence and satisfaction in the shepherd. And because we are having confidence and satisfaction produced in us by the shepherd himself in who he is and what he has done, our confidence, our satisfaction, it allows us in any and every circumstance to say what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned that in any and every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I have learned to be what? Content. I'm content. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, in verse 13 of chapter 4, what does Paul say? As a result of the Lord is my shepherd, I have found and I've learned to be content in every circumstance. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, that's predicated upon being satisfied in who God is and what he's doing and where he's leading and how he's leading and when he's leading. All of that stuff coming together. For we know that God, our shepherd, works all things together for the good. For those who love him and are being shepherded by him. And who are called according to his purpose. So that's the foundation verse. If you don't have that verse in your heart, in your soul, deep The rest of it you won't get. That's the foundation. I don't like this floor. It doesn't make any noise. (sighs) So let's go to the other two verses. The next section. Verses 2 and 3. What has this shepherd done in us? First of all. He makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. How many of you know that life creates a fidgetiness about us and an activity? How many of you know that we're not a people very much at rest? I was listening to the news the other day, and in London, England, they're trying for a 10-day thing to slow everything and everybody down just to kind of, just kind of 
chill out, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, cell phones and, and tweaking and twiddling and emailing or whatever. I don't keep up with it, but whatever it all is called, you know, and, and computers and all that. Laugh all you want. You ought to see my palms, a piece of paper. And so I don't need any of this other stuff, Gary. I can do fine without all that, man. But it's, a, it's just, mm, 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 mm. that's what our life is like. But contemplating the shepherd inside of me, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. You see, our shepherd causes us to find rest for our souls in a very unrestful world. Remember the scripture we have outside, come unto me all ye who labor. Remember Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and what? I will give you what? Rest. Your life is a Twitter today. The Lord is my shepherd. Let him begin to give you rest. Slow you down. He leads me beside the still waters. As he slows me down, as I begin to find my rest in him and my place of confidence and dependence in him. Then he begins to lead me. You see... We can't be effectively led until we effectively rest. It's difficult to lead an unrestful people. In fact, if the people are unrestful, we need to just stop trying to lead them in a particular direction and get them to rest in their Savior. And once they rest, then they can be led, you see. In beside the still waters, the waters are calm so the sheep can drink. If they're moving around and all that, and the fa- you, know, you know, moving water, the sheep are spooked and they won't drink. Calm waters. The Lord begins to lead us into a relationship of calmness about him. The shepherd leadership gives us the experience of peace. Peace. Yeah. The primary peace is this in Romans 5.1. This is the primary peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The war of our sin against God and his wrath against us is over. It is finished forever. Therefore, the peace treaty has been signed in the blood of the Lamb by God the Almighty himself. And our lives have now come under the peaceful rule of God. Amen. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God. First, peace with God, and now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. We don't understand this, but I know because I'm feeling and experiencing it. The peace of God, which transcends all our understanding, will guard or garrison, fortress your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ, and it will protect you from all the outrageousness of this world. And as a result, We can begin to live at peace with one another. We can't live at peace with one another. We don't do it effectively because we are not living at peace with God. Any antagonism that you are experiencing with other people, you know, not just in the problem is not the other person. The problem is your relationship and walk of peace with God. Go back and think about it. The Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) Why? Since he has made peace with me, would I ever, under any circumstance, not live at peace with those who are his? Why? 
Why? Let you feel it. Feel it. Feel it today. And what does this peace do? He restores my soul. You see, our shepherd through this work of peace begins to restore our affections and our feelings, our desires and our aspirations to be the same as his. You can't get anywhere with wrestling, fighting people. But once the peace comes, the doors of the soul begin to open and we begin to experience the flushing, cleansing of the irritations and the anxieties, the angers, and all of that stuff as peace sweeps over us and God begins to give to us a change in our soul of who he is. Then he leads me beside in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And as this begins to occur, we begin to experience soul restoration. Now we're beginning and to be able to walk because God himself, by the Holy Spirit, literally places into us the righteousness of Christ and places us on the path of righteousness. So we can do what Paul has been talking about in Romans 6, 4, which Keith has been preaching about for weeks. We can begin to literally walk in newness of life. We can begin to walk as those who are being shepherded by the good sheep. And our walk will be indicative of his shepherding. Because the way we walk, the way we act in life, will be a statement of his shepherding. So now let's turn to verses 4 through 6. And let's look at what our walk is to look like. We said he is going to cause us to walk in paths of righteousness. Well, let's see what it looks like. First of all, verse 4. It's going to be a fearless walk. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's going to be a fearless walk. There's just so much to say here. But. So let's try to break it down this way. First of all, the path of our walk is through the valley of the shadow of death. I will walk like the sheep out in the pasture and through the rocky places along the cliffs and the difficult ravines is going to be filled with great danger and hardships. Have you noticed that life is not easy? Anybody in here has found life not easy? Wonderful. Anybody else find life is not easy? About five or ten of y'all. How many of y'all found life just easy, easy, like smooth? No problem, no nothing. Okay, maybe that's the way to ask it. Life is filled with, with dangers. How does the shepherd encourage the sheep to walk through the dangerous places? Well, you see, the shepherd leaves the sheep in the pasture here. Now, sheep, what we're going to do is go over to that place over there. Yeah, but in order to get over there, have you seen the difficulty, the problems, the attacks, the dangers? Do you know my life? Do you know what's happening? Do you, right? And the shepherd says, we're going over. 
And the sheep say, well, how can we be assured that we can get there? The shepherd says this, and this is what they do. He leaves the sheep where they are, and he himself, the shepherd, traverses the dangerous slopes. Goes all the way to the other side and comes all the way back. So when the sheep see him, they know he did it, he came back, and because of that, we can trust him to go through any and every circumstance with him, you see, because he's done it. He's been there, and he's conquered the worst disaster, the worst difficulty, and he's come back. You see, the shepherd has already been through and has returned. He already has been through and he's returned. It's now not the valley of death. It's called the valley of the shadow of death. He has been through and he's conquered death. Jesus' death was death's death. And in the resurrection, we now see that because he has gone through safely and victoriously, we can go through whatever with him. Because as he has done it safely, he will also take us through in the same victory. There is nothing that can overcome us in Christ because he's our shepherd who has gone through and has destroyed death. He's destroyed it. And he's destroyed everything associated with death. How is it that we cannot and do not trust this shepherd? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me and you are the one who has done it and conquered and sits forever in the throne of God. What have I to fear? What have I to fear? You see, it's a shadow of death. He's destroyed death. Hebrews 2.14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself, our great shepherd, partook of the same things that through His death He might destroy the one who has a power of death. That is the devil. And in Revelation, we see the last enemy thrown into the lake of fire. And what is the last enemy, church? Death. Finally and forever destroyed. Now, we may physically die and we will die unless Jesus returns. But spiritually, if Jesus is our shepherd... We ain't never dying. And there's nothing that can come against us that will in any way touch the essence of our life in Christ. Remember that when you don't get a paycheck. Remember that when the stock market goes fluid. Remember that when the president said he's going to do this. Remember that when the mayor does this. Remember that when the Republicans do the other thing and the Democrats do that thing. Remember that when your husband acts a certain way, your wife acts a certain way, your children act a certain way, your neighbors act a certain way. Remember that when your pastors act a certain way. Remember these things. Therefore, I will fear no evil. Because the victor of death is with me. What evil? Come on. Come on. Come on. That's right. That's right. Come on. Ours is a confident walk. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, you see, here's where the rub comes in. We all heard the good news. Death. You didn't know I could sing. 
Curtis Allen ain't got nothing on me, babes. Man, he thinks he can rap. You ought to hear me. Now, you see, this has been the good stuff. This has been the rah-rah stuff. Victory over death. No evil. No fear. I'm resting. I'm at peace. Uh-oh. Here comes the rub. Why couldn't Jesus just leave this other area alone? Thy rod and thy staff, they... Now, get the word. Listen to it. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort. How many of you genuinely need God's comforting in your life? How many of you need that? Oh, God, I need your comforting. Well, here's how to get it. The rod. It's a weapon. It's a weapon to deal with the sin within the sheep. Hmm. Remember Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is quick and powerful. That's King James anyway. I can't remember any other version. Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember, cutting asunder soul and spirit is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the mind. And everything that we do is exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11, whom the Lord loveth. How many of you want God to love you? Come on. Come on. It's okay to raise your hand in church. Whom the Lord loveth, he disciplines. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I didn't raise my hand, did I? No, thank God I didn't raise my hand. I was not stupid. That guy does things to you when he asks questions. <laughs> and he says, if you're not disciplined, you're illegitimate. You ain't mine. It's a comfort that God cares for us. In a way that he will not tolerate that which will destroy us. What kind of a parent would we be if we let our children eat ant poison? Come on. God cares for us. His rod is a disciplining tool. Not only within me. But this is the part I like now. I like the other part too. But I I, I think I'm somewhat prejudiced. The rod of a shepherd is also a weapon against the attack of the predator. And he beats the predator to death. First John 3, 8. And for the Son of God has appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. He takes that club when that enemy is coming against us. And he, if we cooperate with him, and if we have faith in him and look to him, he will beat the work of the enemy to death in us. We do not have to tolerate the activity of the enemy in our life. We don't have to tolerate it. If he's beating you, then go to the shepherd and let him take up his rod and swing that thing against that slimy serpent. If he's beating you, it's your fault. It's your fault. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The staff, you remember the staff, the crook, the thing like that? The staff is used to gather Come on, come on. It's used to gather, it's used to guide, and it's also used to to rescue. The sheep falls in the ditch, that crook puts it way down there and drags the sheep out of the ditch back to the fold. How many of you are glad that Jesus has a staff? How many of us? I have, I can tell you without any desire to be pleased about it that I have fallen in the ditch in my day. And Jesus himself has rescued me by his staff. 
It is not because I am somebody or have done something. There would be nothing of me here today had I not been rescued in days past. Not being, I'm not talking about getting saved. I'm talking about after being saved. Rescued by the staff of this great one. I've been rescued many times. A walk is not only a confident walk, it's a prepared walk. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The table, you remember, is the pasture lamb. The place where the sheep would graze and find suitable nourishing. The preparation of the table, the shepherd had to spend an enormous amount of time looking for the pasture lamb, preparing it, salting it, making sure that there were no local weeds or crazy weeds, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Making sure that what the sheep ate was good. Preparing the pasture. You prepare a table present in the preparation of the table. The, the safety of the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The shepherd had to keep a vigilant watch over his sheep for their protection. Again, he not only prepares the pasture and he does everything necessary so we can go in and out of the pasture so we can graze in the things of God as we walk where he is leading and as we eat where he is feeding. You see? Now, you go eat somewhere else and you get sick, don't you go blame Jesus. And what is the primary food of God for us? The Word of God. You can go to Oprah and listen to all that. Oh, no. That's an offense to God. Oh, that not one in this church would be listening and drinking in the filth of the sin. When you have the word of God. Why? Well, I'm interested. I'm curious. You know how many people have been sucked into hell by curiosity? You know how many fish have been lured by a beautiful looking shrimp that it was caught curious about? And ha, gotcha. And now he winds up on our plates as sautéed. Forgot where I was. Oh. So I'm talking about those fish. I get hungry. <laughs> Pete needs to make some food around here. So he prepares the place and then he doesn't wander off. He stands vigilant. Look, our shepherd is vigilant. He watches and he comes after the sheep that are going astray. Remember Luke 15, one goes out, falls out, 99 left, he goes out and gets it. He's vigilant. He's vigilant. Why? Because his passionate love. He's vigilant because of his love. Ours, verse 5, is also an anointed walk. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Quickly, what that is, that the sheep are out there in the summertime, all these little flies and little things get in their nose and their ears and whatever, and in order to, to kind of... Get get this dealt with. The the the, the uh, sheep would run against rocks and smash itself, or or uh, uh, you know puts its head in the mud. Just kind of you know getting all this this stuff out of their nose and their ears and their eyes. These little varmints, little varmints of life, little varmints of life. The rams would 
charge one another and collide. You ever watch that on TV? I mean, they can collide. And so what would the shepherd do? Because, you see, if the sheep were continually being pastored by the things of the pasture, and the shepherd does nothing to take care of that, these sheep are going to wind up being sick, maybe dying, confusion. They can't walk together. And so the Lord deals with the pests in the pasture by literally pouring oil over their entire heads. So these little pests can't get into their nostrils and the ears. So this thing, I'm talking about pests. So when the rams hit one another, they're literally glancing off one another so they don't get hurt. First John 2.20. But you have an anointing. You have an anointing. You have someone who has covered your head with his presence of protection. The Holy Spirit. You have an anointing. So when the pests of the pastures come against us, we have an anointing. Not that we cannot be attacked, but that the attacks won't be successful. That they will come against the anointing and slide off. Rather than get on the inside. Because we've been anointed. Ours is an abundant walk. Our cup overflows. The cup is a content of the sheep's life. Overflowing with goodness and mercy. Our cup overflows. First John 3, 1. Oh, what love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. John is amazed what overflowing love that God has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. Our lives are overflowing with the love and mercy and presence of God. We don't know it sometimes, but we are overflowing. God never puts a little bit into our cup. When he pours himself into our cup, he pours it and the whole thing is overflowing with his presence. Amen. He's not stingy. We're overflowing. Well, I don't feel like it. We're overflowing with His goodness. I don't see it. We're overflowing. Can't we just believe what God says and allow the circumstances and the feelings to the contrary to be submitted to the truth of the Word of God? Huh? We have a blessed walk. Therefore... Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see, this is a bold proclamation. That the goodness and mercy of the shepherd will accompany the sheep throughout its life. And this proclamation, this assurance is based in the person and work of the shepherd rather than in the worth or work of the sheep. We have this surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not because I'm a particularly good looking, good acting sheep, but because of the greatness of our God shepherd. You see, our confidence is in the person and work of our great shepherd. It declares the faithfulness and the ability of the shepherd to provide for his sheep with a life filled with his goodness and mercy. And finally, 
we have an eternal walk. They, you can't take it with you. They don't know anything, do they? Honey child, I'm taking it all with me. How many of you taking this with you? How many of you taking it with you? Some of us are anyway. I'm taking every bit that the, prop, uh, the shepherd is doing in me and for me. I'm taking it all forever. I'm not going to lose a thing. Not because this man is so great, but because there is a great God who lives in this poor man. And I'm not going to deny the greatness of God by twiddling it away. We're taking it with us. And I will dwell in the house of this great shepherd forever. John 14, 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Remember the night of the crucifixion. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my father's house are many rooms. Many. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you. Has he gone to prepare a place for us? Has he gone? Has he gone? Has he gone to prepare a place for us? And if I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there you may be also. We have an eternal walk of glory, don't you see? You see, what assurance? What's the source? Our shepherd has demonstrated his love and care in the cross and has been displayed for us in the resurrection and in his exaltation. Our shepherd has demonstrated his ability to protect and provide by defeating Satan and destroying the power of sin and death in his resurrection. Our shepherd has demonstrated his personal fidelity to his sheep in every circumstance of their journey by giving his spirit. This morning, if you are a member of the flock of God, I would hope that the Holy Spirit, not because of a deficit on his side, but any deficit on our side, but hopefully there is none. I would hope that the Holy Spirit has given us greater assurance and excitement and boldness in being the sheep of God. Have you experienced this kind of personal care? Have you experienced this? Are you here this morning and you may be able to say, I don't have this kind of personal experience with God. I don't have this. I would love to have this. I am shepherding my life. And it's falling apart. You see, what God is doing is showing you, you can't shepherd yourself. And you can't be shepherded by anyone except God through the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the church. You can't be shepherded correctly except that way. And if that's not where you are, that's not what you have experienced. And this morning, you're experiencing two things. A desire to get out from underneath the shepherding that you are already under 
and to come in to a relationship of this new shepherd, this Yahweh, this Jesus Christ, this Lord of glory, this I am, who will shepherd you all the way into the halls of heaven and away from hell. Do you want his shepherding? Let's stand together. If you have never decided to want his shepherding, oh, you've decided to try to do the best you can, you go to church, you try to live right, but you've never experienced the personal shepherding of the Lord Jesus. You've never experienced it. You've even been blessed by God in a few areas, but the personal, ongoing, and regular presence and experience of this great shepherd is not yours. This morning, it can be. This morning, it can be. And I'm going to ask you to do this. We don't normally do this, but I think sometimes it's fine to do it. I came to a place where I had to make a decision because I realized my life was in shambles. And I realized by the Holy Spirit that He was the answer. Jesus has paid the full price. He is the answer. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am. I am the door. And if you are desiring this morning to enter into this relationship, to walk through this door, would ask you just to leave where you are and come here this morning down to the front and we're going to pray for you we're not going to take money we're not going to ask for church membership we're not going to do anything out of the ordinary we're going to pray with you and walk with you through the door of eternal life so as we're singing this morning as Eric begins to close us if the Holy Spirit is moving on you Don't resist him. He's your shepherd. He cares. He loves you. And he wants you to experience the greatest life that anyone could ever experience. Trust me.